Hello, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to this very exciting event. My name is Iris Barr. I'm going to be looking at camera and then looking at the attendees, so it might look a little awkward. Uh, but I do have the Zoom feature that smooths out the skin. I hope everyone is utilizing that. Guidon, are you utilizing? It's, it's, it's literally a feature that says it makes you look, improves appearance. So I, get, uh, I have that for real life? I mean, that'd be really helpful. Yeah, you can follow. I have to follow me around with a very strong light, kind of smooths everything out. I've become an expert at this. I am here with the directors of EcoPeace, an amazing uh, environmental peace building organization that works on collaboration uh, between Palestinians, Israelis, Jordanians, um, with the assistance, of course, of the US and other international partners to collaborate. It is a project-based organization, um, very specific projects that, uh, that this organization uh, collaborates on. And also something that struck me as, as genius is um, it's collaboration without, uh, I think the biggest problem the Middle East has had, especially with Israel and um, Palestinians, is this idea of a final status, right? Everything, it's all or nothing. It's a zamsiro game, right? Everything has to be solved or nothing can be solved. And that doesn't work, especially for the environment, which we know is uh, in extreme dire straits. And um, so there won't be anything to fight over, right? So we need to fight over the resources and uh, it is in everyone's self-interest. I like that you guys had that on the website. Self-interest, because as we know, the, the idea of altruism in the region is not overflowing. No one's doing anything for anyone else at the moment. So you have to kind of focus on this is good for you. And it happens to also be good, you know, I mean, good for me, it happens to be good for you. So I'd like to introduce um, the directors, our guests uh, from EcoPeace. And of course, to all you attendees, if you want to say hello in the chat and let us know where you're tuning in from, we have quite an international crowd. Um, here in LA, it's 10 a.m. So most people are not awake. Um, but in other places where people work, uh, I'm sure everybody is very busy. Gidon Bromberg, I'm going to say that in the most Israeli way possible. Gidon Bromberg uh, is the co-founder and 25-year Israeli director of EcoPeace Middle East. Mr. Bromberg has written extensively on the relationship between water issues and Middle East peace and has presented before the UN Security Council, UN Climate Summit, US Congress, European Parliament, and other international forums. Mr. Bromberg is an attorney by profession. Thank God you left that business, am I right? Is an alumni of Monash University in Australia, Washington College of Law at American University and Yale University's World Fellows Program. <laughs> Nada Majdalani, hello Nada. There she is. Hello. In her office, AKA her daughter's bedroom, if I'm correct, by the <laughs> wallpaper. Uh, Nada Matlani is the Palestinian director of EcoPeace Middle East. She holds a master in science in environmental assessment and management from Oxford Brookes University, the UK, and served in leading technical positions with several international agencies in the areas of infrastructure development, mainly water and sanitation, sustainable and clear production, as well as various tasks on institutional capacity building and policy advisory support. As a strong believer in the impact of proactive dialogue, she has been part of several affiliations of Palestinian-Israeli groups, including the One Voice Movement and the Palestinian-Israeli Young Entrepreneurs Forum. She recently addressed the EcoPeace vision at various high-level international platforms, including the UN Security Council, NATO, and the Planetary Security Conference. All right, I like it. Yana Abatulem, speaking to us from Amman, Jordan, the Jordanian director of EcoPeace Middle East. I got everybody on here, come on, isn't this awesome? <laughs> Yana leads EcoPeace activities concerning the Jordan River, the Dead Sea, the Good Water Neighbors, and the Water Energy Nexus projects. Uh, she supervises international project development and management, serves as a liaison to and lobbying of governmental and private sector figures, 
and organizations on major regional policy issues relevant to environmental protection and transboundary water. As we know, water does not recognize boundaries. She's heavily Cheers. involved. Cheers to that. Yes, exactly. I'm having tea with rum. I'm kidding. No rum. No tea. She's heavily involved in promoting and facilitating national and regional dialogue to advance policy processes needed for sustaining peace. Um, before becoming the Jordanian director, Ms. Abutaleb was the deputy director and regional projects manager of the organization. Uh, she also managed a program aiming at modernizing the educational system in Saudi Arabia implemented by the British Council. She received a degree from the University of Jordan in 1996. And Rick Grove, last but not least, who looks like you're about to pilot an aircraft <laughs> as we go with the headset. I love it. Very. And you're the only one in front of a bookcase. I've noticed that everyone on these Zoom calls always sits in front of very elaborate bookcases. Um, mine only has children's books in it at the moment, so I thought that that would not serve us. Rick Grove is the Chief Executive Officer of Rudder Associates, LLC, the New York-based financial markets risk management consulting firm, which assists financial institutions, companies, and government regulators in the Americas, Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. He spent over 30 years working in the financial markets. He's taught classes on financial markets at central banks, government agencies, universities, banks, and law firms around the world. Rick is a member of the International Institute for Strategic Studies in London, the Atlantic Council in Washington, the International Advisory Committee of EcoPeace Middle East and the Board of University of St. Andrews American Foundation. He received his JD from Harvard University and his AB from Princeton University. Not too shabby, Rick Grove. Hello, everyone. Welcome. I just want to let our audience know uh, that we'll be taking uh, questions at the end. Welcome to everybody. Uh, and let's begin, Guidon, if you could uh, tell us a little bit um, not a little bit, but tell us about how you started, uh, you founded this organization, what brought you to it, and what are the main projects that you guys are, are focusing on today? So firstly, Iris, our deep gratitude for uh, organizing this event. This is such an honor to be uh, on stage, oh, well. almost, almost <laughs> on stage. We look forward to really being on stage with you in New York or in LA or even better in Jerusalem. <laughs> um, so our, our real gratitude to you for, for hosting us and, and allowing us to tell some of our stories. Um, so you know, the, the establishment of EcoPeace is a real story. It's a 25 year story. Um, and it's a story really born out of concern that environmental issues were not on the peace agenda. You gotta think back in, uh, uh, in 1994, 1993, 94, we were all certain that has broken out right. and we we're all so joyous of the fact that we can put the conflict behind us and we can think about a new Middle East. But those that were thinking about the new Middle East were mostly thinking about large economic projects of building, for example, 50,000 new hotel rooms around the Dead Sea right. or turning road 90. If anyone's dr driven on that uh, uh, Jordan Valley highway, that, that, that makes it all the way from Ila to Matula and turning that into an eight lane highway that would connect Africa and Europe. Um, so uh, a group of uh, environmentalists, Israeli, Palestinian, Jordanian, and at that time, Egyptian, came together to make sure that whatever peace was going to move forward was not only going to be peace between our peoples, but also peace with nature. So we were keen, so EcoPeace was actually established back in, uh, in at the end of 94 to make sure that um, the peace uh, process was gonna also take care of the environment, that we'd have clean water and a, and a healthy environment 
um, to enjoy peace. Sadly, we all know that the peace process didn't move very far at all and, and not very fast. And Ecopeace basically had to reinvent itself quite early and, uh, in its, uh, after its birth because we very quickly came to understand that peace wasn't breaking out and major investments that we were fearful of were not coming because the region was becoming extremely violent again. And that's where the trust that was built amongst the team of Ecopeace became a, a, a symbol of, hey, you know, we can work together. We're an example when we have a common issue like our shared waters or our shared environment, we can come together and work productively and advance common uh, uh, mutual gain. And so, so Ecopeace reinvented itself and has really, you know, since then become a, an international trailblazer on environmental peace building. We didn't even know what that term, we didn't even know that term existed. We really created the concepts behind that term and today it's a well-established academic uh, uh, process and you know we have academics from all, our, all over the world come and learn from um, the 25-year experience of environmental peace building. I'm assuming the, um, the, the issues, the environmental issues that were dire 25 years ago have only accelerated. Uh, what, was, what was in dire condition then? Was it the Jordan River, you know, was the sewage and sanitation, the water resources, obviously the Dead Sea, but what was really prominent then and what has become, where is the deterioration most, has most occurred? So, so I, I think um, Jana and Nada will, will, will speak to the dire situation. Um, I, I think uh, uh, Jana in particular of the Jordan River, but you know, we man uh, uh, due to conflict, we managed to turn this river wholly to half of uh, humanity, basically to a sewage canal. That's, that's how devastating uh, uh, the conflict has been on our environment. Um, at Ecopeace, I mean, I think um, we, we run many projects. Um, half of our programming is community-based, and I think uh, NADA uh, will speak to that through our Good Water Neighbors program. And the other half of our programming is, is more top-down policy work that builds on our, our community constituency building in order to influence decision-making. And, and I think that one of the points that I want to bring home to this audience is that we can resolve our, uh, our water issues tomorrow morning and um, much due in this case to Israeli leadership in the water sector um, uh, both in uh, treating sewage but even more so in desalination today water is no longer a zero-sum game there isn't just natural water today we can manufacture water at reasonable cost and therefore share the natural water fairly so that everyone has uh, water flowing in their homes. The reality is that you know, when you turn on the tap in Israel, you have absolute certainty that water will always flow. That's not the case in Palestine. That's not the case in Jordan. And one of the underlying reasons why, particularly between Israelis and Palestinians, is that in 1994-95, when the, the peace negotiations were led, there was only natural water. And coming to a final agreement over uh, of how that water was going to be shared was going to be difficult because it would have created winners and losers. There was, uh, uh, there it was a zero sum game. Um, Israeli farmers most likely would have 
you know, block the road as farmers do everywhere in the world to every entry to Jerusalem, you know, to make sure that no deal on water would move forward. So water was identified as a final status issue, put together aside with other difficult issues, Jerusalem, settlements, borders, refugees, etc. And the idea of the decision makers, well, we'll strike a deal. You know, one side will be generous on one issue, the other will be generous on the other issue, and a deal would be struck. But today, you know, water is no longer a zero-sum game. We can manufacture water cheaply, and, and, and it's much due to leadership here in Israel, yet the mindset has remained all or nothing. Either we agree, and this is uh, the position of the government of Israel, it's the position of the government of Palestine. Sadly, it's also been the condition uh, the position of the international community, including the American, uh, all American administrations, either we solve everything or we solve nothing. And we think that that is, to be honest, stupid. Um, if, if we can solve something so practical that it can improve people's lives on the ground tomorrow morning, then we must do that. And if we um, uh, if, if we come to an agreement on water, not because we want the other issues to wait, we want everything to be solved urgently, but by solving such a critical issue like water, then we can build trust. We can improve the reality on the ground. We can show that, yes, we have a partner. If we can agree on one issue, of course, we can agree on other issues too. So, you know, I always say to people, you know, it's no wonder that, you know, the vast majority of the Israeli public and the Palestinian public and for, you know, for large, uh, order the international community have lost faith the paradigm that we've been working under has been partly responsible for that because it's a tall order as we've seen for 25 years we haven't been able to uh, agree on everything but we can solve water today so let's do that that that's a real call of equipeace okay yana do you want to speak to uh your project with the, the jordan river or Yes, thank you. First of all, I would like to um, thank you very much, Iris. This is a true pleasure. Oh, thank you. And uh, of course, everyone else and our audience. Uh, and thank you, Gidon. Um, um, our uh, objective, or let's say our main objective at EcoPeace, uh, and our focus is to come together to protect our shared environmental heritage, really focusing on our shared water resources. And one of the most important um, resources that's shared between Jordan, Israel, and Palestine is the lower part of the Jordan River. Um, river that's uh, holy to half of humanity. A river, because of conflict, is uh, no longer um, uh, a proper river. It's turned uh, into a trickle because of the conflict, because of the unilateral actions of uh, the three countries. Uh, let's say, but mainly because of Israel and Jordan. Um, our objective from our uh, focusing on our programming uh, to the Jordan River is really to bring a balance between um, enough water flowing into the river, but also a balance between people and um, uh, uh, living in the three countries, and um, the most importantly, a balance between nature and people. Um, in our programming, we really focus our work on the top-down, meaning we create research and we bring data to the table. 
in order to change policy. So we're heavily involved in uh, working with decision makers um, um, in the three countries to really change policy regarding the Jordan River Valley. Um, um, since our establishment, we've been uh, creating research. When we first started, we were really concerned as environmentalists um, to the dire situation um, of the river. A river that used to bring around 1.3 billion cubic meters of water before the conflict, to a river now that hardly brings around, uh, in good, let's say, rainy seasons, around 300 million cubic meters. So that tells us around 95% of its natural flow uh, uh, has been lost, has been diverted mainly by Israel, let's say half by Israel, and the other half by uh, Syria and Jordan. Of course, we're always bringing the Palestinians into the picture, because like I said, we want to see, and we're lobbying to see that the Palestinians become full riparians to the river, and they receive the rightful shares of the river, like the Israelis and Jordanians. Um, so when we first started, we were really only focusing our efforts into more water flowing into the Jordan. So we did um, extensive research on uh, the, uh, the different scenarios for restoration of the river, how much water needs to go back into the river to bring it back to a healthy situation. Um, but in uh, uh, around five years ago, um, we really uh, uh, looked at hiring an international firm, shifting away from only looking at the water flows to looking all the needs of the people living in the Jordan Valley in all three countries. Um, so we created the first ever regional master plan that not only talks about water flowing, but talks about all sustainable development projects that need to happen in order to bring prosperity and economic well-being to all people living in the river. And we are now in that uh, um, uh, phase of our programming and our strategy focusing on the Jordan River is to really work with our governments to uh, implement the projects that are identified in the master plan, but also to help leverage the needed donor money and also thinking in, uh, in a different way of involving the private sector as well that can contribute to uh, implementing all those projects identified. Um, but the power also in our Jordan River programming is that we build constituencies, meaning that we talk to people, um, residents living in communities um, uh, around the Jordan River. So what we do is we build that bridge between the policy and the people educating the people um, why, what's happening to the river, um, understanding their water realities, understanding the need for cooperation with the other sides in order to bring back the Jordan uh, to life. Again, um, making them part of that process um, to take ownership in order to put that pressure on their uh, 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 municipalities, but also the central governments to move forward. And that was um, part of our success. 
that enabled us to move forward uh, in achieving um, not only more water to flow into the river, but uh, uh, getting recognition for our master plan uh, in different levels. But um, for example, on the Jordanian side, we had the Jordan Valley Authority um, that is part of the Ministry of Water in Jordan, that's part of, uh, that's in charge of developing uh, the Jordan Valley, fully adopt the national master plan and understand the need for cooperation with both the Israelis and Palestinians. Tell me a little bit, um, well, sounds amazing. I'm, I'm not quite as well versed in terms of taking the Jordanian, you know, Jordan's government's temperature or the average Jordanian street in terms of animosity or resistance to um, collaboration with Israel. And, you know, what, what do, how do you talk people into, because I know on the Palestinian side, there's this whole idea of normal, we can talk about that with Nada too, about normalize, any collaboration is seen as normalization of the occupation, you know, even an inkling of collaboration, people can't see the bigger picture, their knee-jerk reaction is, you know, no collaboration. So talk to me a little bit about the, the, you know, the overarching Jordanian mentality on the government level and on the community level. Is there more of a willingness, do you feel like on the Jordanian side, obviously there's, it's a different entity, you know, it's not the same situation the Palestinians are in, so, but still, there's obviously, you know, it's no, no one's BFFs here, right? You know, there's still like some sort of, so can you talk to me a little bit about that and what difficulties you've encountered and to what degree do you have to emphasize the self-interest and saying, this is better for you. Forget that it's better for, you know what I mean? But this will be better for Jordan. Like, tell me, can you elaborate on that a bit? Yes, definitely. And very important question. Um, Iris. So, I mean, our work is challenging. I mean, since we started as an organization, we're not um, loved by uh, our governments or by our people. Um, um, so for the Jordanian side, I mean, I can tell you it's even more challenging for us because 75% of our population is from uh, Palestinian origin. And they are seeing things from an outside perspective. So it makes it harder. And we're condemned as an organization as being normalizers. So whenever I'm talking to uh, um, anyone from the residents in the valley to, you know, uh, people that uh, we want to work with from consultants to, uh, to entrepreneurs, they're saying, no, 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 wait, but they're the enemies. They're the ones that are taking all the resources. Um, so it makes it, it's, it's really hard. And, um, and it's the same with the uh, official level. I mean, it's not easy, although we have a peace treaty with Israelis, but they're always playing that blame game of them. It's easier for them to look at the Israelis and saying, but the Israelis are doing the uh, distraction. They're the ones that are taking uh, uh, the majority of, or diverting the majority of the Jordan River water. They're the ones that are polluting the river. Okay, but how do we as EcoPeace change that? We involve them in every step of the way. I mean, so our strategy in the Jordanian office is that we go to our Ministry of Water, first of all. We, um, we, we, we have this dialogue with them, building it on their strategies, first of all, making them understand that what we're doing is in our favor as Jordanians. It will only 
help us gain. It would only help us, you know, bring uh, better livelihoods um, to the people living around the valley. So the research that we do is a very important um, factor that really helps convince the decision makers. And only then, because I can tell you, Iris, I mean, when I first started, when we first finished our environmental flow study and we took it to our, uh, the Secretary General of the Jordan Valley Authority back then, and we were asking him, you know, to, uh, to put more water into the river according to the amount that we're diverting. Um, the first thing he said to me, Yana, it's, it's complicated. We can't do that. First of all, it's Israel to blame. Second of all, how can you talk to me about putting more water into the river while we can hardly meet our drinking water demands? But once they saw the studies, the research, the data that was real, that was put by researchers that were neutral, and not only neutral, but also uh, uh, researchers that came from the three countries together. So that helped change things um, on the decision maker level. People, it's definitely like I told you, it starts with the blame game. But the way we're doing it in the strategy with them is that we involve them at the early stages for them to understand, for them to see with their own eyes. You're saying that Israel is polluting, but let's see. Um, on our Jordanian side. Let's go together on tours. Let's understand that we're also polluting. Let's see that we don't have any sewage networks on the Jordanian side. So the way we approach them, let's work on um, fixing the challenges that we have, okay? We have to. It's within our self-interest to work with the other side because if we really want to benefit from the Jordan River, we have to bring it back to life. And the only way we can do that is by cooperation, working with the other sides. All right, well, there you go. Nada, do you wanna speak about your, um, your experience? I know you have the, the Good Water Neighbors is uh, one of your main focuses. Yes, thank you, Aris, uh, for hosting us today. Uh, definitely, uh, the Good Water Neighbors is our flagship program and it has, uh, evolved all through these past years. It's been running for almost 18 uh, years now, or 19 years almost. Um, when it uh, first started, it very much focused on uh, working together with communities across the borders, uh, um, uh, and particularly uh, on those communities that are sharing watersheds. Uh, so at the beginning, we had just a few communities and then the numbers have grown of the communities uh, uh, involved in our Good Water Neighbors uh, to approximately uh, um, uh, 28 communities, uh, Palestinian, Jordanian, and Israeli. Uh, um, and we focus on these shared water streams that uh, basically um, um, have particular concerns in terms of their environmental condition or ecological condition or even water condition. Uh, most of these water streams also uh, are supposed to be natural um, uh, fresh water streams uh, uh, and seasonal. Unfortunately, we're seeing most of these uh, transboundary streams polluted with, uh, uh, with uh, raw sewage, uh, either municipal or industrial. Um, and therefore, um, uh, we've also highlighted uh, the discrepancies of um, water supplies between these communities. 
Uh, what we did uh, is exactly also as Jana had, had mentioned, is to work um, on the uh, building the constituencies of our communities across the border, either through uh, young people, students, teachers, farmers, women, um, and municipal councils. Um, we did a lot of awareness campaigns, a lot of uh, teaching with uh, a record of thousands of uh, water trustees and alumni who have engaged with us over these uh, past years in our educational programs. And when we speak about educational programs, it's much more of understanding the water reality of your neighbor. So when we have students with the age of 15 or 16 years old, engaging our, in our summer camps and, and environmental programs and tours and seeing things on the ground, uh, they get much more perspective of the reality of the um, shared water resources, but they also understand of the unbalanced opportunities in the region in terms of water supply. Um, and when we bring these students together, it's not about eating hummus or playing football or hugging each other. It's much more about understanding environmental concepts that each one of us across the border has the responsibility uh, and the role to protect these shared water resources. Um, and when you work with students, it's naturally growing to the also parents and uh, it's like a snowball effect. They start telling their neighbors and their friends um, um, about the concepts of EcoPeace. And to me, is um, the most rewarding thing is when a mother or a father writes back to EcoPeace after these you know, summer camps of their sons and daughters, and they tell us, what have you done to my children? They've uh, completely um, uh, changed in, in, in perception and uh, in behavior. Uh, they know more now about the region, about water issues, but they also became more interested in understanding the conflict and what is behind it. They started watching the news when they hated it, um, but, but from different also angles. Um, they started wanting to do sports and, uh, and get more fit. Uh, but um, for me, this is the most rewarding part, perhaps. But also when um, we don't only work with children and students and teachers to, to, to understand these realities, but we also uh, work with the communities. We do a lot of town hall meetings uh, um, to basically also understand what are the needs in terms of infrastructure, in terms of development that would serve these communities on a local level, but they would also serve uh, at a transboundary level in terms of resolving a, a transboundary water or environmental concern. Um, and in that sense, um, we uh, produced also a lot of research, a lot of papers, uh, a lot of um, um, also um, uh, studies in terms of what projects need to, to take place on these uh, shared water sheds uh, uh, in order to protect the shared environment. And from there, we take all these recommendations that we work them out with the communities and we take them up towards the donor community, the international community, um, and also to our governments to prioritize them on their list in order to be implemented. And of course, here becomes, you know, um, um, 
the role of advocacy and the top-down approach with our stakeholders and decision makers to also change policy, but not to only address the infrastructure needs. How I'm, I'm assuming that you encounter a lot of the same difficulties, if not much more than, you know, like I said in Jordan, in terms of being seen as normalizing and encountering difficulty uh, beyond just the blame game, you know, that resistance. And so also on a municipal level, I'm, I'm sure. So what are some of your tactics? Um, obviously, the self-interest, the education, um, but again, it's usually how do you get through here to get to here? Because when this is too strong, you know, yeah. nothing's happening up here, right? So how do you get people to suddenly put their heart aside a bit and get more cerebral? What have been some of your challenges and tactics yeah. in that regard? On the so, municipal uh, and government level. So it's, a, it's, def it's definitely a combination of this and this, <laughs> because uh, when we uh, tackle these issues, first of all, we um, make people, first of all, understand that we are legitimately an organized and a registered organization that are, that is existing under the umbrella of, you know, uh, of, of law in the Palestinian Authority. So we are registered. If we are not registered, then we are in. Uh, we are. If we are registered, then we are legible uh, organization. Um, second of all, we uh, um, we tell people that we're not offline. Uh, the main fundamental issues of the Palestinian uh, national aspirations. Uh, as an organization, we uh, advocate for a two-state solution, living side by side in peace and harmony and prosperity. Uh, we, uh, we recognize uh, Jerusalem as a shared capital. Uh, we don't work with, uh, uh, with settlements. Uh, we, uh, we recognize the 1967 borders as the, 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 um, the borders of this future Palestinian state. So when you start, uh, making people understand that we're not offline and that we're also advocating for Palestinian water lights on the longer term and for better opportunities for the people to be able to access uh, water, their rightest share of water resources fairly and be enabled to have you know the economic development opportunities that the, you know any other prosperous country can have they start to open up and and Try to discuss and uh, and you know uh, also have um, um, ability to also particip participate in our activities and our programming with the bits that they feel comfortable with. Um, um, and when um, I, I also recall something that is very important um, when Gidon and I and Diana uh, went to the new uh, UN Security Council. Before then, uh, of course, I've uh, informed our leadership and uh, I went to see the president, um, the Palestinian president. And he, um, and I told him, I'm going to do this and this. Uh, I just want to inform you. And this is also part of our strategy that we are very transparent uh, to our leadership of what we do. Um, and he told me, this is really good because you need to speak to those who are unconvinced. And I take this for literally because this is the way that uh, we also um, address these issues with our Palestinian counterparts and participants. We tell them, tell your story. Um, 
say what you face on your daily lives. Say that you don't get water for three months uh, during the summer season. Say that you can't dig a well to irrigate your agricultural crops. Tell these stories, personalize them to those who don't listen or don't know, because this is the way to move forward. And uh, this is the way to, to build bridges as one to, to tell the stories and to personalize them. How do you work with, in terms of, um, I know that Yana touched upon the idea of taking responsibility and not engaging in the blame game, but obviously in the Palestinian community, it's more challenging in terms of what responsibility are you asking that your, your, the Palestinian communities in terms of their commitment to the water resources as opposed to, you know, to not engage in a victim or aggressor dichotomy, you know, yeah. in terms of like, okay, there's, there's things that we're not getting water for certain reasons, that's Israel's fault, but what can we do and what are we doing that is also doing damage? Um, so we feel a sense of authority and taking responsibility as opposed to we have no water, it's their fault. So what, what in terms of practical? Yeah, definitely. We do address these issues as well because we also recognize that nothing uh, is completely perfect and each side has to take its role. Uh, we, we do on, um, on, a on a higher level or a larger scale level, we, uh, we uh, definitely address uh, the policies that need to be taken into place, the reform of the water sector at the governmental level. Um, all these issues, uh, we address them and we address that there needs to be also a pro proactive engagement of civil society when putting along uh, regulations and, uh, and, and, and policies that are related to the water and sanitation sector. Um, uh, but also from a community perspective, um, uh, we, uh, we encourage uh, that they also take responsibility, for example, of taking care of uh, treating their municipal sewage or taking care of uh, uh, industrial waste that needs to be uh, uh, treated in order to prevent uh, further pollution to ecological systems that are uh, national and local uh, at, at a local level, but also, as I mentioned, have a transboundary dimension. Um, so um, we do also encourage uh, um, our communities to take responsibility of uh, um, 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 preserving water resources uh, um, um, uh, at the domestic level, but also um, uh, putting all the accountability systems that are needed at a community level in order to uh, also improve the water sector at a local level, but also at a higher level. To what extent are you able to interact with communities in Gaza? We, we do have a staff member in Gaza and uh, he's very active and we do engage with uh, many students and teachers in Gaza Strip. Uh, and um, uh, we do some small projects as well in Gaza in terms of uh, providing uh, renewable energy sources and water supply to some schools in refugee camps. So we are very much engaged in, in Gaza community. Wonderful. Rick, do you want to talk a little bit about um, your, your involvement and American involvement in uh, these endeavors? Well, sure. Well, Iris, thank you very much for, uh, for, for organizing this and, and Guidon and Yana and Nada. It's always great to be with, with you and thanks to everybody who's, who's listening in. Um, I, I, I think it's 
pretty obvious based upon the past 30 minutes why I'm involved in EcoPeace um, and, um, and why EcoPeace warrants uh, support from Americans and from um, others around the world. The dedication of uh, these three individuals and their staffs to the environment um, and to peacemaking is um, admirable. Their courage um, is also admirable. And, and Iris, your questions got them to touch upon some of the difficulties um, they face um, in uh, working in their communities for the environment and for peace. Um, the pragmatism that, um, that this that this group uh, shows. Um, you don't talk about incremental um, approaches, um, not waiting until we've solved all issues, because these issues are very, very difficult, as we know. We've been working on them for 25 years. Um, so the, the, the incremental approach. Um, Jana talked about uh, self-interest and appealing to people's self-interest, not just saying, oh, we're, you know, peace is great, the environment is great, but appealing to people's self-interest. Um, that pragmatic approach has enabled them to get things done um, against all uh, incredible odds. Um, and um, and uh, Nada talked about the constituencies, the young people, bringing them in, um, uh, educating them about the environment and also about uh, their, uh, you know, the, the communities across that, that line, across the, the border, um, getting to know them in a, in a different way. So all of those are are reasons why anybody should want to be, um, you know, should support this, the, the work of this group. But from a particularly American perspective, you know, as an American, um, I, I care deeply about the Middle East. Um, America's had a long-standing involvement in the Middle East, and it's based on, on, on a number of, of, of factors. Um, a commitment uh, to the survivors of the Holocaust after the Second World War and, and, uh, and, and, um, and providing them um, with a, a home. Um, a commitment um, to shared values, a commitment to uh, democracy, human rights, rule of law, equal opportunity. These are ties that have bound uh, the United States and Israel uh, for a couple of, of generations. Um, and I'll come back to that in, in, in a minute. Um, but, but if you look across the world, um, America's closest friends and allies are those countries with which we share those values of democracy, rule of law, human rights, equal opportunity, social justice, the countries of the Americas, of Europe, of, of East Asia. Um, and, and we've seen that um, um, in, in, um, in Israel. Um, but, and we're hoping to see that in, in, um, in, um, in, the, in, in the region, but those, values depend on, they have to be nurtured constantly. Um, they can't be, it can't be assumed um, that those uh, values will just exist on their own. It takes nurturing. Um, it also takes peace and security. It's, it's impossible to, to have uh, a life based on those values without peace and security. And uh, peace requires, um, consent and consensus. Um, if we're going to make peace between multiple parties, it's got to be on the basis of everybody agreeing. Not that they get everything they want, but that um, the compromises are compromises that they all um, can, can, can live with. And so um, 
eco piece embodies that um, that that willingness to forge solutions to to to, to compromise to accomplish things incrementally um, and um, and to build bridges. Of course, as an American, you know, Americans um, by and large are a people of, of faith and um, uh, many Christians, um, I'm a Christian, um, Jews, Muslims in the United States look to this region as the origin of, of our faiths. And we look to the Jordan River that Yana spoke uh, about um, as, uh, as a holy river. And um, if, if you visit the Jordan River today, you'd be shocked as Yana indicated at the state of the Jordan River, but eco peace is making progress. Um, I I saw in the north um, at the uh, where the eco piece um, um, originates in the Sea of Galilee. I've seen sewage being dumped into that into that river, but I now know that sewage is no longer being dumped into the river because of the work of eco peace and fresh water is being provided to the river. So um, there's that faith based um, uh, basis of, of American interest in in um, in uh, in what happens in the region and in the work of uh, of eco peace. I, I, one thing I want to say, thank you, Rick. And I have to thank Rick because Rick was instrumental in, uh, in getting all this together. So uh, thank you, Rick. And obviously thank you for your commitment. One thing that I'm so impressed by is the pragmatic nature and the very practical, like you said, not also, it's not this like, let's eat hummus together and let's, let's study ballroom dancing, which is great. But obviously, you know, there's only so much um, that, can, that can do when people go back to their realities or when, when there won't be any water. And I also didn't know, Gidon, that I, I read that there is no longer a water problem in Israel. I guess the desalination techniques have advanced to such an extent that there is no water shortage, so to speak, right? Is that accurate? So, 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 so you know, there's still a, you know, a, a crisis of natural water. Yes. But today, over 70% of the water that Israelis drink is coming from a desalination from the Mediterranean Sea. It doesn't it, taste great. I got to be honest with you. Tap water, it's not. And my hair, when I wash my hair in Israel, I look like a crazy person. I don't know if that's just a technology that has to still be developed. But I'm, it's I'm not, not sure why that is. Maybe it's to do with your hair. I'm not sure, but I have no problem. And you go to New York, it's like silk. And I go to I go to Israel and I wash my hair and the dates are few and far between. I'm just saying. Okay. But anyway, on a serious note. But, but you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, today um, there is absolute certainty. And in, in, in that sense, you know, this is not unique to Israel. We share the Mediterranean coast with our Palestinian neighbors in Gaza, um, you know, all of the, the Eastern Mediterranean countries. And, and we have today the technology to uh, convert uh, seawater to drinking water. And you know what? Jordan has the open spaces incredible desert spaces where they're already leading the region in creating solar energy. And one of Ecopiece's very practical proposals is, well, let's create that healthy interdependency. Let's have Jordan produce sufficient solar electricity, not only for her own needs, but to sell to Israel and Palestine. We use solar energy to desalinate on the Mediterranean and we sell water back. And in that way, we can create real water and energy security. Europe was built on creating interdependencies after World War II. The European Union was built on the idea of combining the coal and steel industry. Well, in this century and in the Levant, the coal and steel of our part of the world is the sun and the sea. And we have the technological know-how 
how to make sure that you know uh, we can be a model for the rest of the world we can have water for everyone without anyone losing but it's going to require political will to convince our governments to take risks to take risks to work together and this is the essential also role that the international community needs to play we can solve all of our water and energy issues if we get the government buy-in the private sector i think as both nada and yana mentioned are waiting are waiting they're they're, they're outside the door they see lots of profit here as well sustainable profit you know to produce solar electricity we have 360 days of sun and and of course uh, the mediterranean so you know we really can work together and transform EcoPeace is a model today of environmental peace building for conflict areas all over the world. The Middle East, we could also be a model for uh, uh, climate security, for water and energy security to the rest of the world. If only we get our act together and, and we start solving what is very solvable today. I wonder if it's just, if some stuff is just kept a little more hush-hush, right? If Jordan and Israel kind of quietly made the deal, right? As opposed to big announcements, which never seemed to go well. Didn't that just happen that BB announced something and I think was it Abu Dhabi was like, well, well, we kind of did that. You know what I mean? So it's like, maybe it has to just be a little more on the quiet side. We have two questions I want to, um, from, from uh, attendees. So let me, uh, one from Jonathan Rothstein, and this is open to all the panelists. Do different generations view the water issue differently? Have you found when you, I guess, when you're speaking to older generations, obviously, I mean, it seems like I'm, I'm assuming that youth, younger generations are more aware of, you know, environmental concerns. Um, and also maybe, I don't know, you tell me also, um, Nada and Yana, do you find the younger generation more open to collaboration or is, is the, the resistance as vehemently strong in the older and the younger generation when, when you do find resistance? Oh, you have to unmute yourself, Yana, sorry. Yana, you have to unmute. Okay, thank you for reminding me. Um, so definitely, uh, the younger generation is much more open. They are more exposed to wanting to know the other side, to, uh, to be part of that positive change. I mean, as we speak now, uh, my daughter is heavily involved with EcoPeace programs, and she's uh, helping lead one of our national uh, youth trustee camps at our EcoPark in the Jordan Valley. Um, uh, through her, she engages a lot of her uh, peers at her school. Um, we can see that once the, um, uh, the students understand um, their realities, they definitely want to understand their, their neighbor realities. Um, and they're smarter. I mean, um, um, I can see from all the, uh, the, uh, the students that we are dealing with, um, they understand that we want to meet each other, not because there isn't that conflict and it doesn't exist. They understand the conflict and they're exposed you know, to all the um, internet and, and um, uh, information that is available for them, um, but they want to really understand um, the, the other's realities and how we can together change the dire situation that we're currently living under. So um, the students that we're dealing with on the Jordanian side, they understand the natural scarcity that we are in, in Jordan. They understand 
that um, um, only uh, uh, by cooperation and knowing the change of the water realities and the change of the water economy, let's say, in Israel, um, that we will be able to benefit as well as Jordanians, because that is one of the cheapest ways. Um, but to tell you the truth, I mean, that's what we focus on, Iris, in our uh, educational programs um, to the youth. But they are much more open, and, and definitely I see them um, as this generation that will change our region. Nad, have you found the same thing? Absolutely. I, um, I can't disagree. Okay, well, great. We're agreeing. Agreement is always good. Agreement um, is always good. Is EcoPeace considering a mega project such as the Red Sea, Dead Sea water conveyance system proposed and modified through the 2000s? Uh, Guidon, do you want to touch upon that? I'll let Yana talk about the, <laughs> the Jordanian-led right, so project. Oh, okay. Yeah, so um, so I'll start. Um, but uh, the Red Dead uh, project was proposed uh, by um, our governments and is a project that has been there for the past 20 years, basically. The, uh, the Jordanian and the Israeli government and bringing in the Palestinian government as well were always keen on moving that uh, the project forward. It's a project that would uh, bring more water, more energy, um, or that's the objectives, let's say, of the project, and is a piece of it as well. Um, but we as EcoPeace, we really look and support um, to look into the details of such projects. And what we support is the final stage, let's say, of the swap deal, which is um, um, uh, uh, definitely is part of our views as building healthy interdependencies as well. So the swap deal between the governments was that Jordan would build a desalination plant in Aqaba and sell Israel 50 million cubic meters uh, of needed water in the south. In return, Jordan will purchase 50 million cubic meters of water in the north. Mm. where it makes much more sense, we have the infrastructure already there, and it's a cheap source of water. But we at EcoPeace are always bringing um, solutions like the Water Energy Nexus project that really focus on the benefit of all sides, that focus on creating the healthy interdependencies. Um, so whenever a project makes sense, environmentally, economically, um, we, definitely, uh, um, we definitely support. Um, but like I said, not the whole mega project of the Red Dead Canal, just that first bit of the swap deal. And so where's the swap deal at now? I mean, is it, is it in process or you've already, they've already reached agreement or where is it at now? It's, it's, it's just stuck with all the uh, political tensions between the countries. Um, it's not moving forward. And that's why there are other talks and from, let's say, the Jordanian side to move forward with a national water carrier um, to be built in Aqaba and then uh, pump the water all the way to Amman and the northern cities uh, of the country. OK. Guidon, um, let's talk about Bibi, because that's always fun. 
tell me what, <laughs> how has, um, how has this whole, you know, how is everything? I want to just encompass it as say mess. I'm just going to use a polite term as say mess because there's so many different, and we can talk about COVID and its effect, but I mean, I think that in terms of just BB, what, how much have you had to deal obviously with, you know, with Israeli government? What challenges have you encountered? Where have you found surprising willingness? Obviously, you know, again, it's always that dance between pragmatic considerations. I think Israeli government, you know, with all its mishigas has had pragmatic sides and had, you know, and, and this pride taken in technological innovation and there's that too, right? So talk to me a little bit about your dealings on, on the Israeli government side and where you've encountered flow and where you've encountered, you know, no flow. So, yeah, so, so Iris, you know how, you know, you have, you know, you, you have two Jews and three opinions, mm -hmm. minimum. Mm -hmm. so that works in our favor. So right. there's, there's, one, there's one government in, in Israel, but every minister sees himself as a prime minister right. and, and he can advance his own agenda. And that, that very much works in our favor because what we've found is it doesn't matter who's in power, we've always managed to reach out to, you know, to several ministers who are, are, are willing to work with us. Um, so, so, you know, that Balagan also has its advantages. You know, Israel is quite a decentralized type of place. You know, the ministers don't decide everything. Um, they don't know everything, and that's a good thing. Uh, Ignorance you know, is great. Ignorance can work in our favor. Right? Yeah. That allows civil society to more freely operate. It means that teachers and principals can decide more in, in, you know, in, in, in working in schools rather than each time having to get the permission of the minister. So um, uh, in, in these you know, you know, practical uh, projects that, that we speak to, um, uh, Although you know, not all ministers agree with the two-state solution that we strongly believe in, they do see the practical advantage. They do see, you know, in, in the Israeli-Jordanian relationship, as an example, um, it's hit rock bottom. It's never been so bad. And there are many ministers in Israel and security officials in Israel that are extremely worried that the continued deterioration of that relationship and the proposal of, uh, of, of Bibi uh, uh, on annexation of the Jordan Valley has made it even hit more rock bottom. You're having you know, some of the uh, 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 you know, government officials and many of Israel's leading security officials coming and saying, well, this would be a disaster. And, and we're able to really uh, you know, bring the environment side of what that would mean. That, that you know, annexation would, would even further deteriorate water resources on the Palestinian side. It would mean that we cannot rehabilitate the River Jordan because Israel alone can't rehabilitate the river. The, ri the river is in the, is, is in the middle, it's in the border. If one side, if all sides are not involved together, the river will stay a sewerage canal. And, and no less important, you know, the peace treaty between Israel and Jordan has, has been the foundation of regional stability. The peace treaty um, uh, you know, really enables Israel to have very few military, very little military presence on that border because there's no conflict. Now, you know, we, if we continue to, to deteriorate, if we, if we you, know, uh, you know, tragically, if we would lose that peace treaty, then the, there would be a tremendous, not only you know, uh, uh, economic 
but real security price to pay. And, 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 and you know, uh, that, that's a message that we bring forward in all of our issues, because we don't just talk about, you know, environment as tree huggers. We talk about environmental issues from a security perspective. It's our water security that's at stake. Another really good example comes from Gaza, um, where, you know, Israel led a, a, a policy of disengagement. Now, that sounds great. You know, we're dis, you know, we don't like Hamas. We're disengaging. We've removed all the settlements. We've built a wall. And from the perspective of the government of Israel, we've thrown away the key. We don't have anything to do with it anymore. But you know what? You can't disengage from a shared environment if you don't allow cement to go into Gaza because Hamas, yes, Hamas has been stealing cement. But without cement going to Gaza, you can't build a sewage treatment plant. And if you don't have a sewage treatment plant in Gaza, you have hundreds of millions of liters of sewage flowing into the Mediterranean Sea every day. And the currents, they don't just pollute Gaza's beaches, they also pollute Israel's beaches. And guess what? Ecopis exposed the one of our desalination plants. I, I said to you earlier, close to 80% of the water that we drink comes from desalination. This one desalination plant in Ashkelon is responsible for 15% of our drinking water. And it's been having to close intermittently because sewage is coming from Gaza. So the reality is we can't disengage. There's no key to throw away as hard as the issues are for Israelis, for Palestinians, for Jordanians. We can't afford to leave the table. Unilateralism is not gonna solve things. And as, as Rick said, this is the type of you know, international intervention that we need. This is the type of support we need from the United States that's been the bulk hawk of advancing um, uh, reconciliation uh, between our peoples. We need uh, international leadership that bangs our, the heads of our leaders to reach compromise together. Um, yes, I agree with everything you just said. Uh, <laughs> I want to touch upon the, the, the settlers for a minute because I just want to kind of clarify. I, I, Nada, did you say that you don't, in, you don't engage with the settlers in terms of like community outreach and again, a population that is substantial that also has an impact on the environment. Um, is there a, a policy of not engaging or because it seems like EcoPeace's policy in general is to to put political leanings aside for a minute and put the environment at the forefront and say, no matter what your beliefs are, this, this, you know, we're taking this micro, not micro issue, but you know what I mean? We're focusing on this one issue. So I just want to clarify what are the role in terms of engagement and outreach with the settler community and et cetera, et cetera. I this is open to all, but um, I guess give on a nod if you can touch upon that. So, uh, so uh, maybe partly I would leave that to Gidon, but we don't certainly say that we um, we we screen participants and check out their backgrounds to understand who is a settler, who is not. Uh, but in general, uh, we recognize that settlements as as entities, uh, they are illegal outposts, are as you know uh, as per international law. Um, and uh, and this is how we deal with the situation. Uh, it's not to dehumanize uh, settlers as, as human beings, but as entities, these posts and outposts in the West Bank are recognized by international law as illegal posts. Um, in that sense, 
um, uh, maybe Gidon can, can explain more because uh, they are the ones who are engaging directly with the Israeli civil society, uh, how they do it. But in terms of the Palestinian uh, perspective and point of view, um, um, this is a very, very sensitive issue um, that um, um, could uh, potentially, if it emerges at any our events or activities, right. Uh, could cause a lot of sensitivity uh, for Palestinian uh, participants and Palestinian people. And it would also put us as an organization and an, as an entity in, in Palestine at, uh, at stake as well, because um, there's, a, there's a big threat that we could be closed down or we could be, um, uh, you know, um, um, uh, freeze um, or put on hold uh, our activities. Um, and it makes it very, very difficult for us to deal with these situations. Um, uh, thankfully, we haven't um, had any situations that are uh, of such, you know, um, concern or difficulty. Um, and uh, we've been able to deal with the, you know, with our activities with great, um, uh, you know, um, uh, profession, uh, professionalism and uh, uh, dealing with all our participants as equals. Um, yeah, but uh, as I mentioned, this is a very, very sensitive issue. But on the other hand, we also um, work on several uh, advocacy issues, which are uh, also concerned of uh, the concern of uh, good water neighbors. Um, um, in that sense, at the moment, we are, for instance, working on an advocacy case um, against a plan uh, for an expansion of a settlement in the West Bank near uh, Beit Lahem. Um, uh, and it's uh, going to expand with an industrial zone over um, a world heritage site, uh, recognized of its um, beauty of this agricultural terraces, uh, nearly four or five thousand years um, uh, old. Um, and this um, uh, basically agriculture or agro-industrial zone that is going to be expanded by the Municipal Council of the Settlement is going to cross uh, the core zone of the UNESCO World Heritage Site. Um, and in that sense, we are not speaking of a violation of, you know, a political violation, but we are, we are uh, tackling the issue from a perspective of uh, an environmental uh, uh, violation because this industrial zone will be polluting the, the, the rich uh, underground water resources and the springs uh, in the areas of these terraces, but also um, uh, a location and an area that is recognized by the world, not only by Palestinians, but by the world as um, um, uh, a, a, a heritage for all humanity that speaks of how uh, uh, Homo sapiens uh, in, uh, developed agricultural techniques and agricultural and irrigation techniques over these thousands and thousands of years. Um, so we tackle these issues, again, not from a purely political perspective. Uh, uh, of course, we keep this in our minds, but uh, we also speak uh, and utilize all the tools that are possible with uh, legal experts, environmental ex experts, as well as our communities. Our communities uh, that will be affected are also heavily engaged. 
the Palestinian communities that will be affected, but also the Israeli uh, communities in, 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 in Israel across the, uh, the Green Line um, are also engaged in, in, um, in being vocal against uh, these projects that will be uh, damaging uh, to the shared uh, environmental uh, heritage in this area. Kidon, do you want to just touch on this? Yeah, so, so it is these that leads in, in the discussions on, on, on these issues because you know, we're, we're uh, speaking with uh, uh, the settlers uh, out of concern and to educate uh, uh, settlers and settlements that, you know, the idea, for instance, of building an industrial estate, one of our staff was actually um, uh, in a hearing in a settlement uh, today to try and stop the building of the industrial estate. And, and, and by focusing on the environmental cause, um, we're able to partner with a broad spectrum of Israeli society. So uh, by highlighting, you know, uh, on the one hand, uh, we helped actually the registration of that area as a World Heritage Site. We were very vocal uh, towards the need to recognize the area as a World Heritage Site. And, and, and in that process, we were able to um, uh, get the support of the Nature and Parks Authority of the Government of Israel. Um, and, and that way, you know, turn it into, instead of a, a blame game battleground, to, okay, you know, the settlement wants to expand uh, and create jobs, but it can't uh, be allowed to do that if it's going to destroy a World Heritage Site. And we have the, the Israeli Na uh, Nature and Parks Authority agreeing with us that that should not happen. Um, uh, so, so, you know, this, this is a, uh, uh, a, the, the strength of our strategy of, of, of trying to uh, uh, present uh, the facts from an environmental perspective that don't automatically divide Israeli-Palestinian. I mean, I think that's the power. You know, tragically, I see so many uh, corollary issues with, with COVID today, where you think that something that plagues everyone will help dissipate the sense of us and them. But no matter what, there always seems to be an us and them that sprouts out. People have this innate tendency for, you know, for whatever evolutionary purposes comes out. And so, you know, as you try and use the environment where this is like, like the planet, right? Like everyone should care about climate change. Everyone should care because without the planet, nobody's here, you know, and you try and keep focusing on that. But for some reason, this, this primal force that, that keeps sprouting up, that doesn't serve. Um, Cause I'm assuming, you know, in a way, when you recognize, you touched upon this earlier, Jan, like the other's narrative, right? When you, when you recognize that the same water I'm drinking is the same water the person, you know, that I supposedly can't stand or the enemy is drinking, you know, the same air that we're breathing, this should open yourself up mentally to, to, to lessening the sense of the other, right? The, the, common, the common goal. Great, we have a common goal. We're trying to, but I know it's a challenge and I applaud all of you because I think that you know, me having delved into, as I told you earlier, dealing with this life rights story that I'm trying to, uh, people, the emotional baggage that everyone has <laughs> in the region is so strong that poking even a tiny hole to me is a small victory, you know? And even for a moment, the, the, the sense of like, oh, wow, we should do this. Yes, for us, but also, you know, for humanity. And I, I'm assuming not, you're not, we're not a bunch of universalists. I think that everyone has a sense of, 
national pride and, 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 and trying to grapple with that, which I'm sure is at times challenging. You know, you are dealing with people that, in, a, in a government and a nation that, that brings up certain emotions. And I think that's, that's challenging. And I, I applaud all of you for that constant struggle to transcend that. Um, I don't know if you want to talk to it or, um, uh, I, I, let me see. I want to also tell the attendees that are still with us, um, we'll probably wrap up by 1130 uh, PST, so another 15 minutes. Um, there's a couple more questions. Uh, and, and Elise, can I cut what? Oh, go, go, go. Don't let me interrupt daughter, Charlotte Grove. Please daughter, go ahead. Your go ahead. Oh, no. I think we should honor. Oh, I can only imagine. Let's, let's ask here. Uh, <laughs> how, as individuals, are we able to get involved to support EcoPieces projects, especially from abroad? Well, um, that's, a, that's a great question. Can I take the first, the first crack at that since I am abroad and, and, and since it's my daughter? Um, so I, look, I, there, there are so many things that those who are abroad can do. Um, firstly, the organization depends on, on financing. The work of, of EcoPeace um, depends on, on, on donors who've been very generous, but, but yet there are projects that are unfunded. And so um, ultimately, I think the private sector will take the lead, as Jana said. There are projects that make economic sense, but a lot of the seed capital um, and a lot of the, 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 the projects, whether it's water projects, sewer pro sewage projects, require uh, funding from, from outside. So, so um, individuals can uh, donate to, uh, to EcoPeace and have been very generous. And I encourage uh, uh, people, whatever the amount is, it, it, all, it all counts. Um, also lobby governments. Um, the governments of many countries have been very generous over the years in funding EcoPeace projects. Those governments include the European Union, the German government, the Swedish government, the Japanese government, um, and the United States government um, in the past. Um, the United States in, under the current administration has taken a different tack, um, uh, which is on, in my view, very unfortunate, um, using money um, as a stick and using money as a, as a carrot, a stick to not provide funding in order to try to force one side to the, to the table, and also offering billions and billions of dollars and a Marshall Plan for the Middle East that, um, uh, that um, w w is not a bad idea in and of itself, but will not, uh, will not force people to compromise fundamental uh, values and, and principles. I mean, you may be able to buy some people some of the time, but you certainly can't buy a whole population off like that. And so, um, so lobbying governments as well to continue uh, their funding, and also to lobby governments uh, for uh, the, the to create the political climate uh, in which these issues can be can be solved. I mean, everybody, my colleagues have all talked about annexation. It is a looming threat right now, and it's a threat not just to the to to to, to the environment and to eco peace. It's a threat to security, as Gadom pointed out. Many security officials in Israel are dead set against um, annexation, as they are in the United States as well. Our fear in the United States is that annexation 
leads to a, a complete uh, collapse of the peace process, which could then lead to yet another war in the Middle East, which there are some um, who are not friends of, of the United States who very much like to see. Um, their interests in, in Iran, Hezbollah, um, Hamas, who perhaps wouldn't, wouldn't mind seeing that kind of, of, uh, of conflict break out. But that's not a conflict that, um, that we would welcome in America, that's for sure. I mean, peace, stability, security is, is, is our goal. So lobbying our, our governments is important. And then for young people, um, spread the word. Um, there are internship opportunities available at, at EcoPeace um, to spend a number of months in, um, in uh, Amman or Ramallah or, or Tel Aviv um, would be a life-changing experience um, and an opportunity to actually um, help um, on, the, on the ground. So for young people, um, there are plenty of, plenty of opportunities. So that's my bit. I'm sure that uh, uh, Guido and Yana and Nato would have more to add to that. I did put on the chat for everyone here, the website for EcoPeace Middle East, that's ecopeace.me.org. You can um, donate through the website. You can subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, the newsletter comes out English, Arabic, Hebrew, right? Amhari, um, no, okay. And, and I should note quickly just that, that deduction, I mean, uh, donations made by Americans are 501c3 uh, tax advantaged uh, donations. So, Use that uh, huge stimulus check you get from the government during COVID and donate directly. Make good use of that. Absolutely. Yes, yes exactly. Maybe $200 or maybe $150 that you may be getting at some juncture. But um, no, please, obviously, if there's a worthy cause to donate to, this is it, um, I must say. Um, I want to, uh, if any, any of you have anything else to say, if anyone has any questions, now is the time. Um, I'm going to go through quickly. There's one more question here. Uh, Gidon, what is the Israeli government's approach to a uh, solar innovation solution? I know you had the EU comparison and whether this is the right approach. So, so it's taken us time, but we actually have today good support um, in the government of Israel. And um, we, uh, we have support from the Ministry of Regional Cooperation. And, and most recently, um, uh, in fact, uh, earlier this month, uh, uh, Minister Yuval Steinitz, the Minister of Energy, actually wrote us a letter um, uh, stating that he is in support of a pilot project of buying solar electricity from Jordan. And that's a real breakthrough. Um, we also have uh, a private sector support. We have entrepreneurs in Israel that are wanting to buy solar electricity from Jordan. And we also have entrepreneurs in Jordan who are interested in selling in producing that solar electricity um, uh, for both you know, Israel and Palestine. Um, so, so, you know, as I said, you know, we, we have, we've always had, we've always had the ability to work with, you know, some of the, uh, uh, of the critical uh, ministers in the portfolios that focus on environment, water, energy and uh and i think you know one of the underlying reasons i mean not only does it make sense to israel because jordan's able to produce solar electricity cheaper than israel is so that there's a strong economic incentive there but there's also an understanding that um uh, the security the stability of jordan is a uh, is a national uh, security interest of israel and if we can you know develop these um, uh, interactions, these interdependencies, then, then we build trust. We, we, you know, we, we, we build economic 
um, uh, interactions. We already have a peace treaty, but it's a cold, it's, it's become a cold peace treaty. And, and there, there certainly is an interest to turn it back into a warm, profitable um, uh, uh, peace treaty for all sides. And of course, without including the Palestinians in that picture, it's not going to work. Um, and, and therefore, um, you know, uh, all the more need uh, to continue to invest at the trilateral level. Uh, before we go, I just want to ask one more question. To what extent have other um, Arab nations in the re region reached out, even on the private sector level or on government level, to become involved? Or is that kind of a no-go? Well, uh, we did have Egypt, as Gidon mentioned at the start when we were first established. Um, but no other Arab country has uh, uh, is part, especially um, in relation to our work. So we'd love at some point to include um, the Lebanese and the Syrians, um, because when we're talking about the Jordan River uh, Basin, it starts all the way in Mount Hermon in Lebanon. And if we really want to change, we need, really need to start upstream. So our um, um, a big picture, our long-term vision is that we do include them both. But, um, um, and we do, depending on the situation, let's say for instance, if I'm in a conference um, in Lebanon, I do talk to Lebanese stakeholders about our project so that we can start building that uh, base. And Nada does the same, where when we're both in Arab countries, let's say um, we talk and, and um, uh, uh, we present our vision and uh, we, we are always seeking the involvement, let's say not maybe on the uh, uh, big uh, political level, but um, even if it's with different stakeholders that can help us from the private sector and, the, and others. Okay. Well, I see no more questions. I wanted to thank all of you, thank you, Yana, Guido, Nada, Rick. Thank you, Rick, for helping facilitate this. You guys are an amazing, really an amazing organization. Um, I encourage everyone to go to the website to see, um, read more about the projects. There's, fat, there's really fascinating amount of material on there. Uh, sign up for their newsletter and sign up for my newsletter because at the end of the day, my work is really much more important than all this and is going to really outlive the environment. So. You can go to my website. I'm going to put that in there also. I'm going to be live streaming my next one woman show, which deals with the Middle East, deals with Israeli Palestinian relations. Um, and I'm very proud of it. And I'll be doing a live stream. And I'd love if you all joined that. It'll be theater live on stream. It's not as traumatic as it sounds, um, but I'll be doing that. You can look in the chat um, box for there. Any parting words for any of you? And again, thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking part in this. Can I just add something? First of all, a big thank you. This has been so um, enjoyable, um, really. I, I did hear a lot about you, and I, I just feel that it was just a pleasure being with you today. Um, I would just like to add one more thing um, to, in relation to uh, the support uh, from abroad and, and to what Rick had said. I encourage everyone to come visit us in the region, not only to look at the conflict, but to see what Ecopeace is really doing on ground, how um, we're able to deal with both the um, officials, decision makers in the countries, and the communities, the people that are most affected on ground, and to look at how we're piloting um, the solutions that we're talking about. 
Um, so when the time is right and when the COVID-19 is over, I encourage everyone to come to the region. It's going to be a lifetime experience. Um, and come to our ecological park on the Jordanian side, which we um, really bring all, uh, all our stakeholders from Israel, Jordan, Palestine together to learn about the need for cooperation and, uh, uh, and that being the only way forward. And thank you very much. Iris, if I can say a, a final word too, and a big thank you uh, to you and to Rick. Um, but I look forward to a roadshow. Let's do a roadshow together. We want to, uh, you know, I think we're, we're on board. We're, we, we want to learn from your sense of humor. I mean, sense of humor is a good way to open people's heart. Um, and we could do a roadshow. You know, we can start across America, but who knows? Maybe we can cross the Middle East. There you and, go. And have people see a different perspective on the environment, but also from humor. I love it, I love it. N Nada, would you like to say something? And then I'll, I'll, I'll say a couple of words. Uh, sorry, you're talking to me? Yes, yeah, yeah, so okay. would, you, would you like to say a couple of words and then I'll yeah, say a few I'm, words I'm just closing. very, very grateful for Aris for this evening. Uh, I've, um, um, I've not only heard about you, I've uh, watched many of your clips on YouTube, whatever is there available, and uh, I cracked, and, <laughs> and uh, I really admire your work, and uh, we're, we're very honored to be here, and definitely I do support uh, Gidon's idea on adding a bit of humor to our difficult part of the world, because uh, this is the way to uh, basically break the ice. Uh, and we would definitely learn from your techniques there. Oh, well, so thank, you. thank you so much. A pleasure. And, 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 and I would just like to say, Iris, thank you very much. I mean, it's not every conversation about the Middle East where I see this many smiles and, 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 and a bit of laughter, um, as, as, as Nada just, just said. It's really, it's really welcome. And, um, and I'd like to pick up on what Yana said about visiting the region. I think that's a, it is life-changing to go to the region. Um, um, I, I don't think most people who haven't been to the region before realize how small it is, how the distance between um, uh, Tel Aviv and Amman is the distance between one side of New York City and the other side of New York City. Um, uh, millions of people live in such close proximity. Um, and, and that's, I think, something that you wouldn't appreciate without, uh, without visiting. It's stunningly beautiful um, and varied. I mean, the, 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 the environment is just absolutely stunning. Um, and the people are amazing. Jordanians, Palestinians, Israelis are among the most welcoming, warm uh, people um, that I've ever met. Um, and they're all people. Um, when you mingle among them, you recognize just how much we have in common and how these differences that seem so large are really um, are, are so small in comparison to what we what we share, and that gives me hope that ultimately we will have uh, peace in this region. So, Iris, thank you very much. Um, uh, Gidon, uh, Nada, Yana, thank you so much uh, for being part of this, and to all who are in the uh, uh, the audience who participated, and all who'll be watching this in recording. Um, thank I'm you very much Eco for joining Park us. Is open right now. Is Eco Park open? At the moment? Yes, okay, so we reopen. I mean, it's a different situation we have in Jordan where I think we're controlling everything. Oh, great. Rub it in. Rub it Good in. For you. <laughs> I stay in my home for another 19 months. Um, <laughs>
Thank you, Rick Grove. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You've been so lovely, and I'm going to purchase a headset just like yours the minute we get off this because it looks comfortable. Um, it's as close as I'm going to come to flying anytime soon. So. <laughs> we do what we can. Suspension yeah. of belief. Thank you so much. Thank you to all the attendees. This will be the recording will be available. I will post it on YouTube. It's also on my Facebook uh, page. Uh, if you go to Facebook, Eris Bar Fan Page, I think it's called, or Eris Bar Fest. I'm putting that also in the chat box. Thank you. Have a lovely evening to those in the Middle East. A lovely day for those everyone else. This is Iris Bar signing off. Thank you, everyone. Shalom and salam. Shalom salam. Bye bye. Thanks and bye, everybody.